Good morning, Providence Church. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so great to, to get to be with you this morning. We're wrapping up, as Pierce said, uh, this, this series that we've been in all January long. And we're in the last three verses of kind of a, a section of Scripture from the book of Ephesians, a letter from Paul to Christian believers in this town called Ephesus. And we've been in, in just this chapter 6. And uh, before I share these words with you, I want to invite you to, to pray with me. God, would you send your Holy Spirit into this place? God, we sense your presence here. We know you are here. You've gone before us. God, stir in our hearts as your word is, is shared with us. God, speak to us in, in, in spite of the words spo- spoken. Speak directly to our hearts. You know us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're, we're picking up this uh, passage of Scripture again. These are three verses from Ephesians chapter 6. Sounds like a starting in the middle of a thought, kind of is. We'll get back to it in just a moment, I promise. Here are the words of Paul. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should." So again, if you uh, missed the last couple of weeks, Pastor Jacob has shared these words of Paul that are describing the attire that a person who's following Jesus ought to wear, that that we should wear, that we will be at our best if we're wearing. So I'm going to review them real real quickly for you, but if you missed those messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them online as well. Here's what Paul said that a follower of Jesus uh, ought to be wearing. He said, put on a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, Shoes of peace, shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and that we ought to carry a sword, which is the Word of God. So again, if you, if you missed those, go, go back and listen to them. If this is your first week here, you might be thinking, did I come at the tail end of Fashion Week month at Providence Church? And yes, that would be, that's kind of what we've been talking about, but, but not really. <laughs> you won't believe how hard it's been for us to keep Pastor Jacob from coming up here the last few weeks in a full-on suit of armor. I, I caught him Googling it. <laughs> okay, I'm making that up, but you, can, but you believe it, didn't you? You can imagine him trying to come up here in a suit of armor. All these things that Paul has been mentioning in this passage are, are metaphors, right? Like clearly, he's, he's, he's giving us metaphors to help us think through how it is that we, we are, are living uh, in Christ. So he's not talking about a literal belt. He's not saying put on a, a literal belt, although... I mean, some of us, like, we need to wear a belt, but he's saying that the belt is actually this central reality and truth that grounds you in something, right? So put that around you. And Jesus said, I am the truth. So in a sense, Paul's saying, put Jesus on every day, strap it on, right at the central core of who you are, wear Jesus. And then he said, he's not talking about a literal helmet, but he's talking about the helmet of salvation. He's saying the salvation that you have through Jesus Christ protects you. So put it on your head, put it over your thoughts, put it over your life, especially against the whisperings of evil. He's not talking about a literal sword, you know, but he's talking about the word of God being like a sword and that it, and that it cuts through and wards off the lies that are regularly coming at us. So these are metaphors, and you, you, you get the idea, and I'm, I'm really sorry if a guy sitting next to you is wearing a breastplate today. He didn't get the memo from the last couple of weeks. These are metaphors that Paul is talking about, but these metaphors, as all good metaphors do, point to what is true 
and what is real for us. So as we're wrapping up this series today, I kind of want to just like do a really quick recap of, of this letter of, of Ephesians to, to find out, to kind of remember what it is that this suit of armor is protecting. So Paul's been writing to the Ephesians and he's giving them a reminder of who they are in Christ and, and what it means to live out of that. So he kind of goes like this. Paul says, remember, you were dead in your broken humanity, but now you are alive in Christ. Remember, you were once outside of the story, but because of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, you're brought into the story. Remember, you once thought that God's grace was not for you, but now you can know that the grace of God is available for you to receive. Remember, you once thought you were all on your own, and now you're a part of this community of believers, the body of Christ, who can help you grow and mature in the way that leads to life. We've been summing all, summing all that up this last month by saying, remember, you are brave, you are strong, you are known, and you are loved. In this language, it's good. Like, what does it get us? It gets us this kind of courage. You know, it gets us kind of a reset. Well, this is who I am. This is what is true, right? So it, it, this is what it gets us. But it also, these promises get us, uh, create the, the reality that we are targets of the evil one. So that's what Paul is kind of warning us against. And the evil forces of this world, however you picture this, are threatened by your participation in new life in Jesus Christ. And that's a real thing. Like we, we, we feel that. And if you haven't seen it yet, just keep following Jesus and you'll see it. It'll, it'll bubble up. I, I, I promise you it will. So what we've been doing over these last few weeks is gearing up, right? Paul has us all geared up. We're all set. We're fully prepared for battle, right? We've got the armor on. We're ready. We know there's a battle out there. We've got the armor on. We're ready to go. You know, it's kind of like the, the battle lines have been drawn. The enemy's staring you down. It's like the football team is in the tunnel, you know, and, and, and the captain is, is kind of getting everybody hyped up. And they're like, you got your helmet on. You got your pads on. Here, we're getting ready to go. And they're running out into the turf because the clock's about to start. And for us, as we're all armored up and the world's looking at us as the body of Christ, we have to say, what are we going to do next? We're all ready. Well, Paul's next two words to the Ephesians is, and pray. Prayer is actually what we put on in the face of battle. It goes on everything else. It goes on all, over all the other armor. And prayer kind of puts you in a posture of, well, surrender, which seems really strange, right? You're ready for battle, and he invites you into a posture of surrender. Like picture the, the knight who's got all the armor on. It's really heavy, but he gets down on his knees. And, and I think that the evil one would look at us in a surrender posture and say, aha, he surrendered to me. And we do surrender, but not to him. We, sur we don't surrender to the dark forces of this world. We surrender to the vision of the kingdom of God. We surrender to the true King Jesus. And we pray. And in this case, Paul is not using a metaphor. <laughs> Literally, pray to God. This, this posture of surrender that prayer gets us into, it gives us perspective. So if someone has wronged you, if somebody has hurt you, if somebody has said something about you that wasn't true, and you're kind of figuring out what's my next move, what's my response going to be, pray. Again, that doesn't feel natural, right? We need to react. We got to do it in the moment. Paul's saying Pray. And your response will most likely change. In a lot of cases, your response is going to change to the person that's harmed you because you prayed. But even if it doesn't, your heart will change in the midst of an appropriate 
response. So Paul says, and pray. And notice, we'll get into this. He's not really being picky here. He says about how we should pray. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. Keep on praying always for all of the Lord's people. It's like he's not being really specific or really picky here in how this looks or where we are. He doesn't care where you are or what the occasion is. His word is, and pray. So are you mourning today? Are you rejoicing today? Do you have a big decision coming up in your life? Are you entering into a new season of life? Are you depressed? Are you distracted? Are you disappointed? And pray. I want you to try it if you can with me. Think of it this way. Like mentally, go through your wardrobe right now. Go through your, like your closet at home. Some of you have multiple closets. Go through your shoe closet, your coat closet, all those. Like put them all in your mind. I'm guessing that you have clothes in your closet that you're more likely to wear on days when you're not feeling so great about yourself, right? Kind of the go-to outfit. Like I know that this one's going to get me through the day. For some of us, that's like a a cam- like an urban camouflage outfit that we put on so we can kind of blend in, right? For some of us, it's this awesome outfit that doesn't matter how we're feeling. We know that we'll look good in it, so we, we, we wear that, right? You may have clothes that you are more likely to wear if you've got to impress somebody one day. Like you get up in the morning, this is the day I've got to impress. I've got a job interview. I've got to, I'm meeting somebody new. I've got, got to, to impress. <laughs> or sometimes you want to put on something that's just special so that you can make other people feel better even for instance, I have a neighbor who uh, randomly goes around the neighborhood in an inflatable T-Rex costume. <laughs> Do you have a neighbor like mine? <laughs> it roars, it makes noise um, as he goes around the neighborhood. I don't, I, there's no pattern at all, but he does it. Like he'll just randomly, see, it'll show up on Facebook. Oh, he's out there again in this T-Rex costume. Or last St. Patrick's Day, he wore a full-on leprechaun suit to church. He goes to church here. Um, full-on leprechaun costume right here with a pipe, everything. He had the full, the full outfit. You might be wondering, why did he do that? And I don't know. You'll have to ask him, but it was really impressive, right? Like that's, that's pretty bold to come to church wearing all, all green. St. Patrick's Day is on a Tuesday this year, so you might not see it. <laughs> so th- my neighbor, he's got, he's got clothes for all occasions, it seems like. You, get, you probably have clothes for all occasions in your wardrobe. But what I would say to you is that all occasions are actually occasions for prayer. All occasions are occasions for conversation with God. What I love about this is Paul goes on, and you know he's been saying, pray, pray for all of God's people. And then he says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. What's the mystery of the gospel? It's, it's the truth that God came to us in Jesus Christ and offers us new life. And that reality has, has been there all the time, like since the beginning, since, the beginning since, since creation, since Genesis. And Paul, of all people, is put in this role of being able to reveal it, to reveal the mystery of the gospel, for which, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. He's been to prison. He's literally been in chains. And then he says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, sometimes when we ask somebody, to, or we think we want to ask somebody to pray for us, we're like, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to... I don't want to appear selfish, right? I don't want to bug you with my, my, my prayer request. 
And Paul is not being selfish here. You're not being selfish when you ask somebody to pray for you. You're joining in what Paul's doing right here. It's like he's saying, pray for me that I might represent the good news of Jesus to a world that has not heard it. So pray for me so that I can live out my God-given mission in my life. And I imagine that he's, he's picturing in his head this army of armored up Jesus followers who are praying for him. And if you've ever had an army of armored up Jesus followers praying for you, you know how powerful that can be. I've got several instances in my life where this has been true. I, I remember when I was leaving my home church that I grew up in to go to graduate school. I'd just gotten married to Jenny, and we were going off to graduate school and discerning God's call of ministry in our life. And these people, many of whom had, were there before I was born, they watched me grow up. They knew the good and the bad about me in, in my life. They, they came, and they laid hands on me, and they prayed for me. And then I, I happened to know that they kept praying for me. They continued to pray for me. I had an army of armored-up Jesus followers praying for me and for Ginny as we went into a whole new season of life. There's nothing like having that. We have a group of kindergarten teachers next door at Rutland Elementary that, uh, that put on Brave, Strong, Known, and Love t-shirts <laughs> as well. Yeah. Let's get a shout-out. <laughs> the number one kindergarten department in the world. <laughs> Our hope is as you guys are wearing those and as you are wearing yours out in the world that you will have this, this sense of supernatural power and for you teachers, the supernatural power that's required to have the energy to sustain the whole day of, of teaching these beautiful, adorable little bundles of energy, right? <laughs> Throughout this, this letter of Ephesians, Paul's been relating with language that people understand. These people who are receiving this letter have seen Roman soldiers walking around. They know what the armor looks like. They get it. They get this picture. Paul learned that practice from the prophets. God spoke through the prophets, and he spoke through Isaiah in Isaiah 54, and he said this, See, it is I, God, who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame, and forges a weapon fit for its work. God is describing here how the ultimate weapons that we need, like the weapons that Paul's been describing, the armor, the helmet, the shield, the shoes, have been built and created by God. Like God is behind the creator of the thing, right? I was, I was raised in what they call the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, and there is a good chance that you have flown on a plane that was built in my hometown, the air capital of, of the world. It's pretty amazing. Um, I, I was remembering how in 1990, I was, I was a teenager, and uh, the stealth bomber had just been created. They had just finally finished this project, and so they were flying it around the country. It was kind of like this reveal tour, and they were coming to our home, hometown. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Um, last Sunday afternoon, there was a football game. <laughs> Did anybody see that? Um, I can't remember who was playing or the outcome of it, but we'll get, we'll get back to that later. Um, <laughs> but I, I did notice at the beginning of the game, whoever was playing, that they flew over Arrowhead Stadium and when the stealth bomber went right over, stealth bomber went right overhead and I was like, yes, I remember that. Like, I remembered how amazing that felt. When, when the stealth bomber came into town when I was a teenager, they parked it at McConnell Air Force Base, it was all over the news, and they were telling us, like, stealth bomber, it's undetectable. You know, it can slide through there. Radar, radar can't see it. It's impenetrable. 
And then they told us it travels at high supersonic speed. And I didn't know what that meant, still don't. But as a teenage boy, when I heard that language, I was like, yeah, I want to be in on that. So we began to imagine, me and my other teenage goofballs, that we could be stealth, that we could be undetected, that we could be impenetrable, that we could travel at high supersonic speeds as well. So this stealth bomber was a weapon fit for its work. It was designed for a specific purpose, and it was fit for its work. In Ephesians, Paul, by calling us to prayer after this list of defensive and offensive armor that he gets us, that we're supposed to, supposed to put on, is saying that the most impenetrable layer of offense or defense is prayer. Prayer is a weapon fit for its work. And it works at a level that's both higher and deeper than any of the weapons of this world. God continues on through the prophet Isaiah. He says, no weapon forged against you will prevail. That language is in the Brave, strong, Brave and Strong song that Pierce was mentioning as well. It's like, this line is beautiful. It's like a movie, a movie line. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Makes you sit up a little bit straighter. Makes you have a little bit more courage. There's no weapon out there that's forged against me that can win? Do you believe that? <laughs> Which means that no weapon is fit for the work of bringing you down. There is no weapon that's fit for the work of bringing you down. And by the way, when God says you in this passage, no weapon forged against you will prevail, he's talking about the people of God. He's talking about all of his people. And one thing that we learn from Ephesians is that we are part of the people of God. We're part of the body of Christ. So now we're a part of that you from Isaiah. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And the church is a part of the people of God. And so no weapon forged against the church shall prevail. Now, some of your ears might be perking up when you're hearing that language. Some of you who know a few of the words of Jesus, Jesus once said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I always used to hear that, that language and think it meant that it was going to keep hell away from the church, like that the gates were meant to, to hold in hell. But that language is actually defensive. The gates of hell are actually defensive. The gates of hell are set up to try to keep the church out of the darkness, the church out of, of the, the work of redeeming people, the work out of the, the church out of reaching those who feel like they're disconnected, who feel like they're far away from God. That's the work of the church is to actually break through the gates of hell and to go in there and no, no weapon formed against us will prevail. And the gates of hell will not prevail. No weapon formed against you, church, will prevail. It's almost like when you're talking to God, the, the weapons forged against you are just dropping like flies as they fly in. It's like we're the ones that have some kind of superpower, but it doesn't come from us. Remember, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in us. That's true. The same power that rose Jesus, resurrection, new life, is in us. And Jesus did some pretty amazing things in his life. You can like review some of the stories of things that he did, the, the miracles that, that he was a part of. He won battles through compassion. He won battles through conversation. <laughs> he won the battle by defeating death and sin on the cross and raising from the dead. That power is in you. No weapon formed against you shall prevail. 
Paul is inviting us to be all suited up and all ready for the battle, which we do know is ahead of us. And he says, pray for that which is in front of you. So you don't have to do a whole lot of research. Pray for that which is right there in front of you. I think one of the biggest barriers that some of us have to prayer is, well, it's the first word. Like, does God prefer me to address him as, oh God, or dear God? Or like, how do we get that first word in? Have you ever said, I don't know how to pray? Have those words ever come to your mind or even out of your mouth? I don't know how to pray. Well, if you've ever said that, then that was the beginning of a prayer. It's almost like you were tricked. I don't know how to pray. You've begun the conversation. If you said, God, I don't know how to pray, you're praying. Put it like this. Have you ever had a conversation where one party says to the other, I don't even know what to say to you right now? I could give you some context in which that might be an applicable thing, but has somebody ever said to you, I don't even know what to say to you right now? If that's been said to you, you probably know that you're actually in for a conversation right at that point. I don't know what to say to you, but we're going to talk for a long time, right? <laughs> Settle in. For us, prayer is recognizing that somebody is on the other end of the line. I know like a lot of people don't like to talk on the telephone. Um, I sometimes don't really enjoy talking on, on the telephone. It doesn't seem like, like there's some part of communication is lost in that. And we're trying to figure out how to do it better with texting and emojis, and we, we can't quite figure it out. Face-to-face seems to be the best. But once you are on a phone call, once you are in the middle of a call, you can't, you can't just stop talking, right? I mean, you have to at least pretend like it's breaking up or you're going through a tunnel or something, right? You, you can't just end the conversation in the middle of the conversation. That, that, that ongoing kind of conversation, that's what life is like with God. That, that's how you can pray on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers. There are different kinds of prayers, but prayer is ongoing. So if you don't think you have it figured out because I'm not so great at praying or I don't even know how to pray, continue with that prayer. (laughs) Continue going forward. Now this idea of being ready for the battle and then being called to stop and pray can be frustrating to us, right? Like when there's a thing to do, we want to go and do it, right? It's available for us. We want to go. We want to tackle it. I think that the greatest movement of prayer in my lifetime was in response to an act of cowardly terrorism. Some of you remember really well um, 9-11-2001. That, that day, like that morning, I was, I was watch, watching the towers in New York be, be hit before I was going into a conference on evangelism, on how to share the good news. And we kind of stayed in that for, for a minute, but as it became clear what was happening, I, I knew I had to get back to the church because people were coming in droves to the church. If you remember that time, you know that those couple of Sundays around that were the highest attendance in church in recorded history. <laughs> and why were people coming to the church? People wanted to know what to do. They knew that there was a war out there. They knew that there was a battle to be fought, and they came to the church. And what did the church do in response? The church prayed. <laughs> we lit candles. Our enemies probably looked at us and thought, that looks crazy. <laughs> you stopped to pray. You're lighting candles. We did it for hours and hours and days and weeks until God began to tell us, well, here's what you can do in response. Here's how you can move. And once we got a call from God to to move, we continued to pray. That's really important. You don't just pray on the front end and on the back end, but you pray throughout it, right? It's constantly. So as we began to respond to this, we continued to pray and say, God, continue to guide us in this. Because part of praying for what's in front of you is praying to confront evil. 
That's what we were doing then in 9-11. We were praying to confront evil that was before us. The devil's scheme that Paul writes about includes tapping into our fears. So if we have a fear that's within us, that's exactly the place where it's just easiest to keep us down and to lay us low. But prayer is meant to keep us moving forward. That's why we keep praying. We pray through that because it moves us forward. Prayer is for the sake of the future as well as the present. Recently, I was in a room of uh, of folks who... Uh, the, the teacher up in front of us invited five people to come up, and he said, just kind of an illustration, I want you to link arms and form a really tight circle, like as tight of a circle as you can. And can you imagine, they, they, linked, they linked arms, they formed a circle, and they looked like a, kind of like a football huddle, you know? They were facing inwards, right? And that's kind of what we did on 9-11, after 9-11. We, we huddled inward. We, we were just like focusing. We were listening, and then we were let out, right? And so Paul is saying in this, don't just keep looking inward. Don't just keep facing, facing inward. There's more for you to do that is ahead of you. Keep moving forward. Keep going forward. When you're in that huddle, when you're facing inward, which part of you is exposed? Your back right? And in this whole, all this list of armor that we've received from Paul, we've protected in all kinds, of, all kinds of ways, but our back is left unprotected. So if we stay in a huddle facing inward, we're, we're vulnerable. And for Paul, Paul knew something about what it meant to, to have a back that is vulnerable. He wrote about it a lot, actually. Um, he believed that the back kind of carried signs of vulnerability. One place that he wrote about it was in 2 Corinthians Um, he was reporting this. He said, five times my own people gave me 39 lashes with a whip. 39 lashes because 40 was thought to be like the the most. Nobody could handle any any more than that. 40 meant death. So they, they, they beat him with a whip because he was trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ. 39 times times five. So he had almost 200 beatings on his back and those those beatings with a whip leave scars, right? And they, that remain for the rest of his life. And on top of that, three times the Romans beat me with a big stick, and once my enemies stoned me. If you look up this passage, there's a whole lot more. <laughs> but just with this much of it, what do you think Paul's back looked like? What do you think it looked like after all that? Even if it had been a, a little bit of time in between. His back told a story, Right? And he didn't, he didn't show his back to the whole world. He was, right here, he was, he was showing it to, to his fellow Jesus followers because these were the ones he was saying, pray for me, have my back. This is what happens when nobody has your back. It looks like this. So would you pray for me? Don't just stay huddled up. Look outward, pray for one another, pray also for me, and keep moving forward. The evil one would love it if we just got stuck. Like whatever you're in today, if that was just it, if you said, this is it, this is the end of the, of the road for me, the devil would be very happy and content with us staying in our suffering. And so we also are called by Paul to, to pray for that which is ahead of us, that which, that which is God's vision for our life. You know, a lot of times we'll ask ourselves, well, what does God have for me? What's God asking me to do next? What's, what's this, this calling for me? And it's a hard thing and it's a struggle. That's one of the reasons we need to keep, keep praying because God will, will reveal it to us. And as God reveals it to us, it'll look more and more like the the kingdom of God vision that Jesus was always talking about. You'll see it 
more and more clearly as God chooses to give it to you. And so part of our prayer is, God, show me what's beyond this present moment. God, show me what's beyond this present suffering. God, show me what's beyond this broken relationship. God, show me what's beyond this sickness. And then Paul, kind of hidden in, in this, is, is, is the invitation to pray for heaven. Pray for, ultimately, pray for the end of the story. Pray for that which we know is coming. Pray for Jesus to come and, and set everything right. And at first when we say that, like praying for the end, it sounds kind of fatalistic, right? Like, it sounds like we're, we're praying for, for the end of the, of the story, the ultimate end of the story, but it's not a death wish, it's a life wish. Because the promise that we have in Jesus Christ is to go beyond death and to have life. And so we pray this, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. And we don't just pray it during Advent leading up to Christmas. We pray it all the time. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We've got our full suit of armor on. Come, Lord Jesus, come. There is, a, there is a battle ahead of us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, Paul closes out this letter to the Ephesians with a, a benediction. It's kind of like a sending out word. You know, if somebody stands up here at the end of the service and kind of sends us out. This is his, his sending out word to the believers. He says, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So these are words that, um, there's some real power in these words. So I, I kind of want you to imagine stepping out into the battlefield, right? So the armor of things that we've been listed, we've been praying, we're stepping out into the battlefield. And as we're in the battlefield, we have these words that are always spoken over us. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray. God, your gift to us is protection and salvation that doesn't make any sense in the face of this world. We are armored up with righteousness and with faith, salvation, and peace. We are armored up with your word, which cuts through so much more than any sword. It cuts through darkness and lies. It cuts through anything that keeps us from moving forward into your future for us, for your desire, your desire for us. And one thing that we're aware of as we walk around in this armor is that just wearing it doesn't make us complete. We continue to need you. And so we talk to you. We listen to your word. God, continue to guide us. For the things that we battle are not the things of this world. It's not flesh and blood. It's the spiritual forces that are around us that we have trouble naming. We certainly have trouble seeing. But we are aware that they, they float around us. And God, you've designed us to live powerfully in the middle of that. So gather with us as we come forward for communion, for bread and juice. We sit at the table with Jesus, with his disciples. We hear him break, break this bread and, and speak these words over it. The broken bread is his body broken for us. We hear him take this, this cup and speak over it that this cup 
represents his blood poured out for us and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we take it, we may have life. So God, send your spirit to meet us in these elements of bread and juice. And God, now that we are armored up for a life in Jesus Christ, this is what we do as your church. Nothing's going to prevail against your church. So we speak to you, God. We speak a, a prayer that is constant and ongoing. And together now in this moment, God, we speak and we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, praying together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.